Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Welcome. Would you guys stand with me? My heart is still pumping. Amen, right? I love that stuff. Did you guys know that there are 360,000 employees at Target? Do you know Walmart employs 1.2, or excuse me, 1.5 million employees? The public school system in America employs over 6 million people. Our federal government employs 2 million. Just in the private sector alone, there is over 59 million people who are employed on small businesses. That's businesses that run under 500 employees. And and businesses that run above 500 employees but are still privately owned, over 66 million people. You know what that tells me? I'm glad we get to celebrate Labor Day, aren't you guys? Yeah, we get to celebrate the American worker and things like that. And it says two things. A, we're not afraid to work. B, we like to spend money, right? <laughs> we got to have all these consumer shops, but that's okay. Hey, we would like to welcome you here on this wonderful Labor Day weekend. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here with me today. If you're watching by camera, thank you guys so much for being there. Facebook, these type of things. If you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15... As we stand together, if you want to stand at home, that would be great. That would be super uh, wonderful for us. Today, we're going to talk about laboring in the Lord and doing the assignment that God called us to do. Paul writes to his buddies, to his friends, to his his Corinthians friends, and admonishes them and builds them up for working hard. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Anybody ever felt like they labored in vain sometimes? Like, what am I doing, right? Paul's reminding these guys that that is not what's happening here. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for being in this place. God, as your spirit is here, illuminate our spirits, God, that we might learn your word, hide it in our heart, and do as you've told us to do. And everybody says... Amen. You can wave at your neighbor as you go down. Well, as we celebrate this Labor Day weekend, some are celebrating uh, by the lake, some are celebrating in campers, no doubt, maybe in the mountains, these different uh, things, and we just, that's okay. It's okay to get away. It's kind of spiritual sometimes just to take a break sometimes, right? But we are glad that you are here with us and that you guys are listening to us by camera. In our culture, though, it's embedded throughout. We praise the American worker sitcoms, TVs, and movies. You guys remember Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? So basically the point of the movie or the point of the sitcom is he goes from place to place and basically finds the grossest jobs that require the hardest work and begins to show the American public how to do it. I remember one gross one that he actually climbed in what we would look like a silo and begin to uh, clean out bird droppings. Brutal, man. I would not want that job, but he began to show that. But we also see it in different facets of, of our American culture, right? We see it mostly in our music, too. We have the hard working man song. I'm a hard working man. I'm yeah. Yeah, some of you guys started tapping the foot. I saw it. Uh, I didn't even see your feet, and I knew it was happening, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm, most of us are hardworking. I can't ride a rope, but I can do a little bit of painting. Some of you guys out here can ride and rope. And then we also have the famous song by Dolly Parton, Working 9 to 5. Working 9 to 5. Yeah. Living, getting, getting by. It's all taking and no giving. 
Yeah, my little sweet daughter goes around the house singing that sometimes. She doesn't get the gist of it, but she likes it. One of these days she will, though. She'll be like, that's what Dad was telling me about. And then, we can't leave out the kids, right? The wonderful song by Disney, Hi-Ho. Don't you just love it? Yes. And you see those little dudes walking down. You see they have a pickaxe and a shovel and a rake. And you realize that's sometimes what it takes to clean kids' room. <laughs> you know, well, you're raking stuff out and chipping old food off. Hi-ho, come with us, you know. And then to include everybody, we've got the wonderful song, Taking Care of Business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of you guys are str- yeah, strolling down memory lane, aren't you? Yeah. I don't know if some of those songs I've never listened to all the way through, but some of them I certainly have. But it's in our American culture everywhere. And labor is just a part of life. And we know that as Christians, we have twofold labors. We know that we have our career, our job that we believe that God's called us to be a part of. And we also have this thing in our life called ministry, right? It's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that my career is, is within the church and wanting to be a pastor and such, but I also know that in my personal life, God has personally called each one of us to a ministry, amen, to the ministry that we could spread the love of Jesus Christ. And we know the songs that we just listened to, many of those point back to self, and we can have those moments where we're proud of, it's okay to have a little bit of pride what you work for, right? Yeah, you shouldn't go throw your garbage in the middle of your living room every day, right? Take it out, take care of what you have. But we know that it's by the blessings of Jesus Christ that we have what we have, right? And we're so thankful for that. We know that our salvation is not through works. We know that it's through Jesus only. But we know that during that work, there's some planning. There's some tilling. There's some weeding that we have to do in our lives. There's some work. There's some labor. And we know if we're going to do something great and be the change, it's going to involve the four-letter word of work, right? The four-letter word. And that's what we celebrate this weekend, and that's what Paul is certainly celebrating here. So today I'm going to talk to you about during our work. We're dedicated, we're persuaded, and we're motivated to do our work. And that's what Paul is really emphasizing here in verse 58. Uh, part of the reason that Paul is bringing this letter to a close, and it, it, he's, he's bringing his purpose up, and he says, listen, I want to reassure you guys that your work matters, that what you're doing matters in Corinth. Then we see that he uses the wonderful word steadfast and movable, abounding, which is really just another great term for excelling. And then he goes on to say, what do we do all of that in? It's in our labor. It's, it's we're movable and steadfast in our faith. We want to excel and we do that in the labor of the Lord. Amen. So as I begin to continue to read, I see that the first thing that Paul brings out here is dedicated. Be steadfast and immovable. What does that mean? To me, it really means to be persistent. Hang around. Have you ever had one of those people that maybe you've worked with? They seem to just get better and better and better every time you're around them. They keep showing up. I think that's one of the great things of our culture today. As the young people begin to rise and work more in the job sector and begin to take over leadership positions in our communities and in our state and our nation, if we'll just have that persistency about us that I'm going to show up tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, and I'm going to try to do it on time. (laughs) And if we'll do that, I know that God will reward us. Now here, we begin to see that, that Paul is not talking about the climate of a person when he says be steadfast and immovable. He's talking about really more of the weather. Let me 
uh, let me talk about what I mean by that. Climate, we know, is something that hangs around. We can look at a region and see the climate. Weather is something that changes from time to time. And Paul is writing to these individuals, and, 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 and he's saying, listen, if you're persistent, it's almost like we have this built-in obsession about what we're doing, this dedication that people are like, why are they? They're, they're crazy. Have you ever heard that before? They're crazy. Well, that's good. That's a compliment. You didn't know that, but that was a compliment because that really means a lot of people are impressed by the way that you present yourself at work because we're persistent and we come back. We're not the weather changing from one time. I'm here. I'm not here. Oh, maybe God's telling me to do this. Maybe he's not. No, I'm digging in my heels. That dedication rises up within me, and I'm going to hang around for a bit. Amen. And we see that individuals who have that quality, whether they're in the home or the church or a judicial system or a health care system, school. Or, or even the various levels of government, and they have that quality where they want to excel, it's easy to see. You can see that dedication. They come back and they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again, although we might not agree with them, although we might not like what they have to say, right? They're just always around. They're kind of like a mosquito. By the time you get comfortable, boom, they show up, right? But that's kind of how we want to be sometimes. Maybe not that annoying, right? <laughs> but being persistent is a good thing. And Paul's asking this. He's not asking anything that he hasn't done. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, and 28, we see Paul's famous resume. There he says, listen, I've been, I've, five times I've had 39 lashes, and we know that 40 is death. Three different times I've been beaten with rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and day I was adrift for a sea. And then he goes on and talks about his journeys, and eight different times when he's talking about his journey, he mentions the word Dangerous to explain his life and what was going on. He said, I've had hunger and thirst in my life, and I've been exposed to the elements. So as he's talking about what he wants to see in the Corinthians, as he feels like he's operating in the Spirit, he writes them the letter, and he says, be steadfast and immovable. I think he has the resume to understand what that means. Amen. Been around a little bit, had some things happen. And then he says, on top of all of that, verse 28, Apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. What a heavy thought. He said, as if that other stuff wasn't bad enough, I wake up in the morning, and if you've ever had that feeling with your family, you know exactly what Paul's talking about. Before your feet hit the floor, you have a thought rush past your head. And you're like, oh, how am I going to be able to walk through the day to day? Paul was feeling that. But we know that we, we understand to a certain degree what Paul had encountered and what he was talking about. I'm sure I'm looking at a bunch of people today that has been tired and hungry and stressed. You've been so focused in on your work that God's called you to, your career, that, man, you skip lunches, you skip breakfast, sometimes you skip dinner. You might skip days of food because you feel the looming task ahead, and it's important that we figure it out, right? You guys have been there. Some of you guys have taken some pretty substantial emotional beatings, I would imagine. Some clients, customers, realities, they're having a bad day, but you get to <laughs> help them out with that, right? Dealing with children, many of your jobs, you deal with children, you see the abuse, you see the different types of a neglect, you see families being separated in the medical profession, you see, you see things that just cannot be cured. And like Paul... You're left with that stress, that anxiety. And sometimes we can feel spiritually shipwrecked. There's, there's really nothing I can do. Whenever Paul talks about drifting upon the sea, some of us, we understand that. What else can I do but do what I'm doing? 
long journeys. You, you have to leave for your work for a week or two weeks or sometimes three days. But the anxiety, the loneliness, the fear that travels with you that seems to be your steady companion, it's hard to handle, isn't it? Yeah, you just really want to be at home with your wife or your kids or your husband, but yet your job calls you and you know that you're fulfilling what God's called you to do, but it still doesn't mean that those emotions aren't real. I remember whenever I was in Wichita Falls and I was doing my tree business, so many times I felt like God had called me to do that, and I sat in my truck as I was about to back out of the driveway and go do another tree job, which I was coaching and teaching and doing many other things. And I just remember sitting there thinking as I pulled out and giving up another Saturday away from my daughter and away from my wife, I was thinking, what am I doing? God, is this what you really want? You, get, you, you leave and you just almost feel like beating your head against the steering wheel. You know what I mean? And you don't mean that rude or like you're a psychopath. <laughs> but those emotions are so real. And you're like, God, I just miss my family. You board that plane to go on the missions trip. You board that plane to teach that class. Get in the car. And that heavy feeling sits in. Missing out on the family events, the parties. And then sometimes you just need alone time. Sometimes if I could just have an hour, yet you get a text message. You get a phone call. Your family member, a friend comes up to you and grabs you by the arm and says, can I just visit with you? And you say, yes. And you give up more. And that's what Paul was feeling here. And whenever Paul says, just, then, then you add the anxiety of the churches. Well, many of you guys know how that feels too because of your families. As if all the things that your career and your jobs brought wasn't enough, now we worry about our families. We all have extended loved ones and family members that we would love to see come to the knowledge and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We have them that have been fighting maybe illnesses, and we're just like, God, we still want to pray and believe that they're going to fight through. So we totally get it earlier in the chapter there, earlier in the book, whenever Paul's writing to his friends, the Corinthians, and he says, listen, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him. Yeah. Why was Paul writing that? Why was Paul saying that? Because he said, listen, this is a part of your labor. This is a part of the toil. This is a part of the life. If we're going to do something, if we're going to do something great, if we're going to be the change that God has called us to be, it won't come easy. Amen? And just because we see these things, as Paul writes, doesn't mean that we're not in the will of God. doesn't mean that we're not taking back territory. Rather, it means that we're in the middle of the fight and we're gaining some ground. Oh, man, nobody likes their... Likes their place being taken. <laughs> and we know that the enemy doesn't either. And Paul here is saying, hey, realize this life that God has assigned you to. Make it count for everything that's within you. It's that deep dedication. See, you, you, you've thought, man, is it worth it? Am I doing it right? Let me reassure you. Yes, the dedication that's in your heart is exactly supposed to be where it's at. Amen. God has put that in you. He's built that mechanism inside of you. You're like, why do I want to go back and do this labor? Why do I want to go back to this place over and over again where I feel like I get my tail end kicked, right? Well, the reason why is because God's put that devotion in, in you, that dedication that only comes from the Holy Spirit that says, you're doing what I've called you to do. You keep doing it. And that is great, great news. Last week, we talked about whenever we go into our, our spiritual life or whenever we go into our prayer life, we understand that Christ tells us to pick up a cross. And I was thinking about whenever I go in there and I, I, I kneel down before God or stand or whatever I do, and truthfully, it's about submission and, and spiritual discipline. It's about saying, God, I'm here to be spiritually disciplined. If you have to correct me, correct me. If you have to tell me what's going on, but also I want to be disciplined. I don't want you to always have to come to me. Sometimes I need to rise up to the bar that you have set in the standard. Amen. 
I was thinking of a story whenever I went to my grandparents' house. There was four of us that was raised in our house, two brothers and two sisters, and typically we'd go to our grandparents' house, two boys and two girls. Well, one summertime, I guess, flew by, so my grandparents and my mom and dad decided that all four of us was going to go at once. Yeah, and we were not the most well-behaved kiddos. (laughs) And my dad knew that. My dad looked at us all and said, let me explain this to you. And you know it's going to get serious, right? You know it's going to get serious. He said, hey, if you do not act correctly, (laughs) and I hear about it, when you come back, I'm going to fix the situation. Yeah, yeah, and he meant it, okay? He meant it. So he, he, what was he doing? He was actually teaching me a, a principle that if I cry out with discipline in a moment, now listen, if I cry out with discipline in a moment, it'll save me from hours of crisis later. <laughs> he didn't know he was teaching me that, but if I find discipline in the moment, now when we go into our prayer life, you know, and we submit ourselves and we say, God, take my tongue and, <laughs> and take my mind and take my actions and let it be yours, God. Today I pick up my cross and let me go ahead and pray for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday that I'll pick up my cross then and next week and next month and next year, right? Because in that moment of discipline could save me from hours of crisis management. (laughs) But it changes our prayer life. And those prayer lives have to sustain us because of the dedication that it takes. Steadfast and immovable, whenever we become that and as we grow in that, it really helps us bring our vision into focus. God has called us to conquer the mountain. God has called us to climb through it or go over it or whatever he has said to do. But sometimes when we're looking at the mountain, it can become so blurry. It becomes so encumbersome. And I know in my life, when I look at the time sheets of my life and what God's called me to, I look at the expense sheets and I look at the expense of of time and money and brain power and energy, I have to ask myself questions. Am I where I need to be? Is it worth it? Am I following Christ? God or the Holy Spirit, are you here? Am I hearing from you? Or if I'm just making this all up on my own? Everybody, anybody else been there? Because the cost seems too great because I've looked at my expense sheets in my life. Man, that's cost me a lot of time from family. That's cost me a lot of investment in money. But yet, we all feel it. That spirit beckons us. It causes us to continue to see those deposits go in and make them time and time again. I bring my money. I bring my brain power. I bring my energy. But whenever we look at our challenges and see that our challenges become the chances to do something great, Whenever we see that our challenges become the chances to do something great because of the great dedication that Christ has put in us, then what we see is we see eternal investments rather than constant invasions. So we don't see it as God invading our time and in our space and telling us constantly what to do, but rather we say, no, He's setting me up for an eternal investment. We see a godly assignments rather than constant assaults. God's not coming to me and telling me that I'm wrong because I have to correct. He's not coming to me and telling me that I need to change this because it's a mean, ugly, nasty God, but it's much the difference. He's saying, no, listen, I want to give you the opportunity. I've got an assignment for you that I believe that you can complete, and I put that dedication in your heart. That's the reason why you go back, and you go back, and you go back, and you guys know exactly what I'm saying. And it's not a constant assault on our life. And finally, we see these opportunities as divine, amen? I see divine opportunity rather than demanding opposition. I don't see a God who sits across the table and demands of me things that I can't produce. 
Rather, I see a God that's saying, listen, this is a divine moment in time, and I've put you here because I really believe that you can do it. I really believe that you can reach that person that you've been trying. I really believe that you can get that promotion that you've been working for. I really believe that there are lives out there to be changed, that you don't see how they can be changed, but I do. And I believe in divine appointments. Not opposition. God change me and mold me and make me. But it comes back down to that godly dedication. I want to see challenges as chances and opportunities. Paul goes on in that verse and he says, in verse 58, he says, persuaded. He says this, he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always excelling in the word of the Lord, in the work of the Lord. And this is where the progress is made. This is where the actual work begins. Uh, Abounding is just a great way to say that if you see something fixed, a fixed number, then we're going to go past it. So here's the standard. I want to go above and beyond. It sounds like Bible to me whenever Jesus says, if somebody offers to take your shirt, give them your cloak, or your clerk, give them your shirt. If he asks you to go a mile, go ahead and go two miles with them. Because he doesn't want us just to be ordinary Christians. He wants us to be Christians that excel and abound in our work. Part of that is changing life. And that's also in our professional and personal life and our corporate life. Individuals who are persuaded, one of the things that they do is they sow seed. They sow seed into people's lives. They're intentional about the seed that they sow And they sow it and they invest it. Now listen, there's a difference between sowing seed and throwing seed. Okay? They're not just out there. People who who, who don't seem to be persuaded that their job is making a difference, that their career path is changing people's lives, that Jesus really can come into you and change you, then what happens? We tend to just throw it out there, right? But when I intentionally bring my seed and I say, no, God, I'm bringing tithes and offerings back to you because that's what you require in your word. I'm giving offerings to you because I believe that you will go above and beyond to bring back to me and you see my need. Whenever I speak a word into a person's life, I'm doing it with intentionality. I'm trying to get to know that person and build them up so that they can be encouraged the same way that Jesus Christ did us. Amen. Here's here's Paul. Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians, and his church in Ephesus is booming. They've had all kinds of wonderful things happen. Man, Jews and Greeks are both sitting down and listening to him teach Scripture in a school setting. At one point, there's some Jewish guys that try to take over a demon or cast out a demon, and that does not work well for them at all. They wind up getting beat up and (laughs) stripped naked, and they're running away with wounds is what it says. Ugh. But because of that one act, because some people tried to be something they weren't, what it said is a holy reverence came over that area on Jews and Greeks. The Bible goes on to say that because of that incident, Jesus' name was magnified. People began to come and confess their deeds to the point where people who were involved in magic came and dumped all of their books and burned them. The, the amount of the books that they burned equals 50,000 pieces of silver at that time. This is how much that is. That's 10 people working 20 years. I mean, he, by all standards that we say today, this, Paul was having revival. I mean, differences were being made. He had the town's attention. And in cultures that we live in, it seems like whenever that begins to happen, it's okay to kind of kick back and get comfortable. Let's go ahead and write a book and maybe get it out on the market. Relax where you're at. But because of Paul's persuaded nature, that he is persuaded, he continues to write a letter. 
to his church in Corinth. In Corinthians, it reveals that two different letters came to him while his boom in church was happening in Ephesus. Two different letters came to him, and it was people who had questions. So in the midst of all of that, he sits down and crafts a 60, what we know as a 16-chapter letter. So many other things he could have been doing. So many other things that he could have taken his time to do. But he said, no, listen, I'm going to intentionally sow seed into the church of Corinth. And he sits down and he crafts that letter. It says that remember to identify with Christ. Look at, look at your moral behavior. Talks about the spiritual gifts and walking them with maturity. Then at the very end, it talks about, listen, we're going to remember that our hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. And then he encourages them, as we just read, keep working in the gospel. You do not labor in vain. First Lady Claudia Johnson, we know her as President Lyndon Johnson's wife, installed through, through that administration, one of her pet projects was the Highway Beautification Act. It was nicknamed Lady Bird's Bill. And what her desire was to take a portion of the landscape on the, on the highways, the infrastructure that had been really built during Eisenhower's administration, there's major highways and said, listen, we want to take landscape on the side of these roads. We want, to knock, knock, we want to keep billboards from popping up everywhere. Let's get rid of some of these junkyards and let's begin to plant flowers along the highways and plant landscape. So many of the beautiful flowers that we see is because of her. In Texas, she says, listen, I'm going to, do, I'm going to hand out rewards for people who plant flowers. Oh man, it stirred up so much. People were planting blue bonnets and people were planting um, paintbrushes and sunflowers just to make sure that they had her approval. How many of you guys have seen some of those sunflowers, right? Some of those paintbrushes, some of those blue bonnets. But what, what can we learn from her? I believe it's the same thing that Paul's saying. When you intentionally sow beauty, you reap beauty. When you intentionally sow seed, other people can enjoy that too. And we know when we sow it in the name of Jesus Christ, that beauty, as we sang this morning, beauty can come from ashes. But we have to be intentional in the seed that we sow. The next thing that we see here is we see that Paul's saying, listen, we want to sow organic seed. I believe that people who are persuaded, they, do not, they don't sow artificial seed, this made-up thing inside of us. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, each one must have as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, a cheerful giver. I always mispronounce that. A cheerful giver. Well, we know that a cheerful spirit is not something that can be necessarily conjured up. Really, it proves an inward change has happened. It proves something that this glorious salvation of Jesus Christ has, has come inside of me. Now when I give, I'm excited about it because I understand Jesus Christ and He will provide. I'm not giving so people can see. I, that's, that's not on my radar. That's not on our radar. Amen. It's because I want to plant true organic seed, the true seed that only can come from the Holy Spirit. John 15 and 11, it says, These things I've spoken to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Some of the things that he had spoken to them was, Listen, the Father and the Son dwell inside of you. God has this gift and it's called peace and he wants us to have it. And then we can see kingdom success if we abide in Christ. And he says, Listen, these things I've told you that you may have true joy. That the joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The trueness about the fullness of our joy is only because it comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. So now whenever I sow kind words, whenever I sow gifts, I'm generous with my time. 
I lend material things out to people and I do it with a spirit of joy that can't be manifested, that can't be just put on. What I'm saying is that I'm willingly sowing. I'm sowing out of the abundance. Remember when he says not out of compulsion? That means we're sowing with thought. God, I've thought about this. I've thought about what I'm fixing to do and I've put all the cards out on the table, so to speak, and guess what? You win, God. You are who you say you are and I believe that. And in our faith, we sow that organic seed. Now, you can sow a hybrid seed. I was talking to a pastor today, and I found this out. They do make these things that are hybrid seeds. But the problem with the hybrid seed is when you plant it, it has no reproduction. So once it does its deal, it's over with. It's not organic. That's the thing about that organic seed. That's the thing that we, we learned about the Beautification Act. We see those flowers come back and come back and come back, right? And whenever we sow out of organic seed, out of that joy of the Holy Spirit, whenever we bring our tithes and our offerings and our time, whenever we say, no, God, I'm going to do this because I want to be a willing vessel of you. I believe what you say. Whenever we do that, it's organic seed. And not only can it change people's life, but it can continue to change people's life. And what are we doing? We're not laboring in vain. We're laboring in the abundance of the Lord. Now, just a couple quick thoughts on that. Remember, he said to sow seeds, not a seed. And we cast a net, not a line. So whenever we're throwing seeds, okay, whenever we're casting seeds, not throwing, we're sowing seeds, then we try to sow as many as we can to honor God. Amen. The third part is motivated, knowing that the Lord, your la- knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This last week we went ahead and pulled out these uh, wonderful uh, uh, banners back again. We hope that you guys have continued on your set of goals. Be the change. We hope that you look at them from time to time and say, God, how far have I come? What am I doing? I know with me I have to kind of keep them constantly in front of me, almost a week-to-week deal or I'll forget them. But here the true pure motivation is whenever we set goals that stretch us. We, we help measure progress and it develops us. But listen, whenever we find our motivation like emotion and patience, we can spend it. We've only got so much in our emotional bank. We've only got so much in our spiritual bank, you know. And sometimes our motivation can get low. Sitting on the, sitting on the couch with a cold glass of tea, it's 110 degrees outside. I know my lawn needs to be mowed. I don't know how much motivation I have at that point. You know, the wind's blowing on me. Ugh, I like it. I like it. But many things can stop us from motivation. Loss happens. Opportunities fall through. Negative people speak into our lives. Ugh, got to guard ourselves from that. But there's also things that are not negative that happens that causes a lack in motivation. Sometimes relationships change. You get married. Things change. You have a kid. Things change, right? We lose motivation for things. Promotions happen. Now that we're promoted, maybe we don't work as hard to get that promotion. Or once we, once we worked really hard to get that promotion, we don't continue maybe that same ethic and we have to go back and say, okay, what is my true motivation? Here's some, here's some ways we can increase our motivation. Real quick, six, six ways. First of all, let's have clear goals. Clear goals. Write them down. What are, where are you trying to go and how are you trying to get there? Adequate rewards is a very important one. Okay, if you're trying to lose weight, treat yourself to an Oreo on occasion. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, don't eat the whole pack. You know, you only walked a mile. But, you know, you know one, one Oreo or whatever, adequate rewards. I know in my life with, uh, with, with our family, we try to do finish lines. And that means every couple of months, every three or four or five months or whatever it is, is there a weekend that we can take off? Is there something we can do? Because how many of you know life just gets crazy sometimes, right? And we need to reward ourselves. We need to make sure we have adequate rewards, positive thinking. Uh, if people are negative thinkers, I can't be that. I can't spend that much time around them. Conserve your time. Don't waste it. Supportive friends. We know that every great actor has an awesome what? Supporting cast. So if you look at somebody and you see that they're excelling and they're doing great, I guarantee you they're going to have some people around them that really support them. And you got to know your limits. That's something I struggle with. Let's go out and conquer the world. Well, you're not ready yet, right? <laughs> That's my deal. I think I can climb Mount Scott. No, you can't. You're going to get hurt. The other day I was talking to my wife. I said, well, my back's feeling better. I'm going to hop on my bicycle and I'm going to ride to Ray of Hope today. And it got awful silent. And she looks at my daughter and she goes, now how smart do you think that is that daddy's going to ride? <laughs> I'm like, you win, whatever, whatever, whatever. So she's, she does a great job. She asked me not to make her sound mean. She's really a really wonderful person. But strict, strict. Okay. No, and then high energy levels. We have to have some high energy levels. Go ahead and change your diet a little bit if you need to. Six, six dozen Red Bulls, not the way to get energy, all right? <laughs> try to, that's a way to get kidney stones, all right? Try to, try to stay away from that kind of stuff, right? We can only consume so much caffeine till it actually starts working the other way on us. So, so high energy levels, you know, do some stuff. Get out and move and, and watch what we eat. But those will all increase motivation. And as we walk through life, we know that it starts to get empty and we diminish. Whenever our motivation diminishes, then our excellence can, right? Our commitment can easily drop. And that's the reason why we want to keep that high motivation. Paul writes this to his buddies and he says, listen, this is your motivation. He said, and in earlier chapter 3 there in Corinthians, he goes, what are we? Without Christ, we're nothing. God gives the increase. The one who plants and waters is the same. So the one who does the labor, that's us. It's the same. But God gives the increase. And we know that he has a reward for us. That's your motivation, that we can stand before him and say good, or that he can look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? And sometimes we have to remember that. We have to remember it. In verse 14, he reminds them, listen, your works matter. It's the motivation that he gave them. He said, first of all, your works matter. He said, now remember when you stand before God, and your works go through the fire, they can suffer loss. So do it in the proper motivation. He said the Spirit dwells inside of us. We'll always take the Spirit around with us everywhere we go. And that last one is really great to me in verse 18 there. Whenever he talks about people, we're not as smart as we think we are. <laughs> That's the reason why we got to constantly check our motivation. I imagine he had a smirk. Think with me for a second. He had a smirk whenever he was writing this to this church as he had just witnessed two, uh, actually about seven, I guess seven or eight guys who thought they could cast out a demon and do it not and do it just out of, because they didn't understand the process. They didn't give their heart to Jesus. And then they got whipped all over the room. And then he's writing down, and trust me guys, you're not as smart as you think. <laughs> I think you better make sure you have the proper motivation. If we're just throwing seed because that's what we want people to look at is, trust me, guys, that is not. I just imagine he had a smirk on his face. But we can also have those same motivations. How about to protect the innocence of our children, right? To protect the sanctity of life, to protect biblical marriage, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to give the people that, listen, he is the only way. And when we do that and we reach the poor, Psalms 41, 1 through 2 said, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. 
In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. So whenever we have the proper motivation and we defend, we know that we can walk in a blessing of the Lord. Amen. Would you guys bow with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.